Welcome to Honest Retail, the weekly podcast that dishes out the truth about the latest news, trends, and blunders from the CPG, consumer, and retail industries. Now, here are your hosts, Cameron McCarthy, Taylor Foxman, and Carlton Fowler. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 22 of Honest Retail. Very excited uh, after a, a week hiatus to be back. Um, Taylor was, uh, congratulations are in order. Taylor was was having her wedding uh, in Germany last week. So we took a, took a week off of the pod for good reasons. Uh, she's back mm-hmm. now. I don't know, rested, but has a lot of good memories and stuff. So uh, <laughs> t- Taylor, congratulations. Uh, and, and hopefully many uh, years of of fun and prosperity um, and married life. Although Thank I know you, you have a, a three-year head start already, kind of into things. Um, today <laughs> Thank we're you very much. today we're super excited to be joined uh, by a good friend uh, Asia Singer. Um, super excited to have you here, Asia. Um, I thought maybe we kind of start just a little bit of your background. Um, obviously, I know you through through Charlie and Brooklyn Bridge Ventures, but we've kind of had some separate conversations. I've subscribed to your newsletter uh, over the last year. Really, kind of intrigued by your thoughts on on brands and how different brands go to market and kind of how they're positioning themselves and I always love how you highlight the different wish.com like products that pop up that are even crazier than <laughs> usual so you know wanted to get uh kind of a little bit of your background and then we'll uh we'll jump into the to the pod yeah so um i work as i work with consumer products founders on branding and strategy um I am previously a founder in uh, the fashion and direct-to-consumer space and have worked in a lot of areas of of direct-to-consumer startups. So have expertise in go-to-market and uh, and content marketing and branding and social strategy and all kinds of things. So sort of using all of that knowledge that I've gained over the years, both to help founders and to write my newsletter uh, for the love which um which is about all of those topics and and sort of whatever whatever trends i see happening uh in the space yeah for any of our listeners i think like uh, obviously we had andrea um on the pod like a few weeks ago like if you um subscribe to snackshot you would definitely love like for the love um different tones but definitely like similar kind of like shutting the light of new brands and how they're positioned and everything so definitely a must for everybody um, let's dive in. I know we, we, you know, we weren't here last week, so hopefully we've got some good brands to kind of share and, and talk about. Uh, Asia, you're our guest, so why don't we start about with you? Is there any brands that kind of caught your eye over the last week or two and, and kind of what brands are, are piquing your interest right now? I mean, I am currently, as a little for the love teaser, working on a, a piece about NFTs and Web3 and how consumer brands are, are integrating Web3 strategy. And so I, that's, that's what I've been deep into. So I know you guys are familiar with leisure projects. Um, I spoke to those founders a couple of weeks ago and uh, they essentially used NFT sales to fund their first round of production, which I think is a really interesting use case. Uh, so that's, so that's what I've been thinking about. And uh, oh gosh, I don't know. There's, there's so many brands popping up all the time. Yeah, I think uh, I think I've seen like all the the pictures like hitting Twitter of like people actually getting their first like delivery of leisure projects. So yeah. uh, I'm interested to like find the product out in the wild, or I got to place an order with those guys uh, soon and uh, and check it out because it, it looks like the reviews are coming in and they're they're relatively pretty positive. 
Yeah, and I think I I think that they have an interesting take on branding as well as the strategy. Like it's you know sort of upbeat, fun, really integrating their customers and like early adopters into the experience. Um, so I, I love how they've how they've approached their business, and like I am a huge advocate of consumer your customers and. Uh, getting involved early and often. Uh, so I think they've done a great job at that. CJ, how about you? Um, two. I can't remember the name of it. I was looking for it behind me, but like we get like tons of samples and someone sent us these samples of edible silverware, like edible spoons, edible forks. And like, I was really hungry the other day and didn't have time like in between sort of food so i just ate a bunch of spoons um <laughs> like like I, I, they were i mean they were edible enough to eat it was it was like a spoon snack um so i couldn't i couldn't find that i was going to show it so you guys but I, I think i may have thrown the rest of the spoons away um which is kind of anti of the whole ethos <laughs> what are gonna do um the other thing that i've really been enjoying um i i got a delivery of a bunch of honey mamas um which I, you know I, I like i love the flavors I, like i mean i mean who, who doesn't want something to drop off like 20 chocolate bars to their office um the thing that kind of struck me was like as exploratory as some of the flavors are like as you'd expect like birthday cake is doing the best and it was delicious um so i i'm i'm a big i'm a big fan of honey mama so much so that we're gonna we're gonna look at potentially investing because um it was it was quite a delightful gustatorial experience i liked it better than the spoons what yeah. did the spoons taste like <laughs> um the spoons tasted like a um like a slightly like like if you put vanilla extract into a like very very basic like rice cracker but mm -hmm. crunchier because obviously the spoons have to hold up to being able to leverage and, and use food so it wasn't like a, the it wasn't like the baby best snack is kind of what best snack I've ever had <laughs> but I ate more than one spoon like I will admit admit that so like. <laughs> It's, those things are, uh, I mean, like, that's, that's, the, that's the best I can say is I ate more than one spoon. Hey, CJ, how was your lunch? Well, I had a spoon, you know, yeah. so how was yours? Yeah. yeah, I'm always, like, intrigued by, like, the use case for that because, like, unless that company gets, like, serious food service distribution, it's, like, tough for, like, as a consumer product because it's, like, it's the same thing with, like, paper straws, right? It's just, like, I don't know how much I'm going to use that on a day-to-day -day basis as a consumer. Well, and you're not usually using plastic utensils yeah and anyway so i mean i guess at your salad place if the fork works properly yeah. it's it's a tough proposition for sure and, and i would say like uh, honey mama is like i've loved since it was like the brown paper bag like wrap like hand wrapped uh situation so i'm a big fan of honey mamas how about you taylor any international brands you're bringing over from your from your trip abroad <laughs> from germany well i have two brands neither of which i'm directly working for but um, one is a, a non-alcoholic Riesling. Um, these are two non-alcoholics. I'm in this whole phase, you guys know. But so one is called Save Water, Drink Riesling. Uh, I, I love the name of it. Um, got it in the local store in Heidelberg in Germany. And I just thought it tasted great. I'm not a huge fan yet of a lot of the non-alcoholic wines here in the U.S. Um, I've been kind of told I need to try more. So working on it. Uh, but it, they have both non-alcoholic and alcoholic. And I just really like their non-alcoholic. 
So that company is Drink Water Safe Riesling. And then um, one that I am talking to pretty seriously, which I think some of you guys who listen and who are in, interested in the space probably know well already is Lear's. Uh, Lear's is pretty much right now the most dominant global non-alcoholic spirit portfolio um, started by a guy, Mark Livings, I believe based out of the UK. There's just a bunch going on with him. Like there's a non-alcoholic beverage association here in the US and they just launched in the UK last week as to which he's like heading it up. Uh, he also partnered with Amazon Alexa to do like, hey, help me make non-alcoholic cocktails, Alexa. And they're going to help with developing non-alcoholic cocktails. Um, and then lastly, is they launched a non-alcoholic baiju um, in the Chinese market, which is really cool. So I don't know. I'm just seeing a lot with them um, in touch have with you, them. Have you, have you they're, tried they're, the baiju, Taylor? I, I've tried all. I have tried now. They Luckily, they've sent me pretty much my entire apartment is full of their products at this point. I have not tried it. Um, have you, CJ? It, well, you know, I, it, I'm curious. It doesn't capture the certain <laughs> that is Baiju and that like <laughs> want to rotor your mouth out with like steel wool. Um, it is interesting. I, I am very interested to see what happens there because they raised a great deal of money at a very high valuation on on what I would call not necessarily a, a lot of trailing twelve months revenue, and it was it yeah. was very narrative based. Like we have, we, mm-hmm. you know, we're we're gonna we're gonna crush it in the Middle East for obvious reasons, um, right? And that brought in a lot of capital, and then we are gonna own the Chinese non-alcoholic market moment. And I, 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 I wonderful narrative. I, I we will see whether or not mm-hmm. the the market for for non-alcoholic baiju materializes. I, I thought it was, I, when I saw that, I did like a double take. I was like, hmm, yeah. I see. Sorry, what were you saying? Oh, I just tried Lear's for the first time this week um, because I have not had a, an alcoholic drink since I got pregnant like over a year ago. And um, I was really missing an Aperol spritz now that the weather is nice. What did, you, was, try? did you try? I tried their like Italian red yeah. drink. Yeah. <laughs> I liked it. Um, I liked it. It was, it's funny because my husband who doesn't drink at all had a sip and he was like, oh, this tastes like cough syrup. And I was like, you know, like it kind of does, but, (laughs) (laughs) but like, maybe that's, that's what I'm looking for. I don't know. It's so, it's so subjective. It's all so subjective. It's like, this is very different. It's like, if people, I I don't think there's going to be some like unanimous decision on these things. And they're also trying to own the market to a degree that like, I don't know if you saw, but they have like everything. And I don't always know if, if having a hundred products from cold brew coffees to, you know, whiskeys to single, I'm not sure. I think, it, you know, the strategy works because they're like in their mind, like, I guess from an optics perspective, like owning everything all at once. But does that mean that everyone's going to like everything? No. But also I think people are, are really, like you said, like you may like something and be like, hey, this, I can't drink because I'm pregnant. This is better than nothing. And then your husband may be like, this is crap. I don't know. I don't think there's going to be the same like overarching approval that there is in other categories. I think people are just going to have the things that they like and that's their alternative. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I also think like drinking 
aperitifs or a glass of wine is so connected to the social setting and the people that you're with and the overarching experience of drinking that. Like I want an Aperol spritz because I wish I were in Italy right now. Like that is, that's the experience that I'm looking for. So like, it's not just, it's not just the flavor. (laughs) Totally. It's experience too. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, it's weird not going like deep into one vertical or one product and making sure you execute that really well and kind of spreading yourself thin. But at the same time, if they have the finances to go after it all and the product's good enough, like maybe it makes sense and they're just selling it in as a collection and a family of brands. Um, for me, uh, not a new brand, but like a collaboration that I tried this weekend. So like Ithaca Hummus is like like probably my favorite product. Like it's just my favorite product out of any CPG product that I've ever had. Like it's always like my go-to, like what's your favorite thing? It's always Ithaca. Uh, known Chris for <laughs> for a while now. I always give him a hard time for for not joining WeStock for like the last four years, even though I've known him well, but I like can't hate him that much because like they make such a good product and I, I pay for quite a bit of Ithaca hummus on a weekly basis. But they did a collab with Grillo's Pickles uh, which I've actually never tried Grillo's pickles, but like, if you ever see the Grillo's guys, like at a trade show, it's like the most badass like pickle, like company. <laughs> and they just like, look like, Oh, like those guys, like, you know, have fun and make pickles. I'm like, that's so all, the, that's all those so guys good. do. And so, so I was good. excited to see them do a collaboration, like hummus, like pickle hummus, you would think is kind of like a weird combination, but it was awesome. Like it was like tart, it was sour. It was like the perfect kind of combination. Um, and just thought the product was awesome. Um, you know, like I saw another one that was going around where like rind and lesser evil did like a cherry lime popcorn. It's like, that's not really like my thing, but like, it's nice to see that these CPG brands are starting to do collaborations and get them into distribution really quickly. Because I see, I think that that's something that's hasn't really been done, especially during the pandemic or the last two to three years. So it's good to see these collaborations kind of come through. And if they result in products that were as good as that kind of Grillo's Ithaca mashup, um, I'm excited to see what else kind of comes out of these partnerships coming down the pipeline. Is anyone else an Ithaca convert or am I the only one just like preaching to my only hummus uh, choir here? Wow. I think we have some in the fridge and now I need to. <laughs> wow. I'm a Grillo's. I'm a Grillo's person. I love their pick. I've like, I swear by their pickle chips. I swear to God, they're the best things ever. And the brine that's left after great pickle chips is great for pickle back shots if you're 21. <laughs> I'll have to try Grillo's now, but uh, yeah, I would definitely urge everyone listening and also you three go try the Ithaca Hummus. It's a really good product uh, and definitely like worth the small increase in price. Uh, compared to kind of like store-bought or like uh, private label like uh, hummus out there. So, um, all right, well, let's dive into the topics. Um, The first one this week, um, I think a lot of us saw the New York Times article that came out on Emily Weiss, uh, the founder of Glossier. It's really hard to kind of like wrap it up as anything other than like a stupid hit piece. Like it was a pretty awful article from the New York Times where it was just kind of like demeaning her role of what she's done. It kind of said like the end of the girl part boss archetype. It also said she was like on the Mount Rushmore of startup culture, which I don't think like anybody would ever say kind of Mm -hmm. about her and Glossier. So it was just a very weird article. It was like that, like coupled with like the Sheryl Sandberg news, like it just seemed like a lot of like negative press towards like women founders and women executives who have kind of like crushed it. And it's like naturally are just moving to like the next stages in their careers in life. And that um, was just kind of interesting to see. 
I think that then coincided with the Think CEO also kind of stepping down. Um, and then this whole switch between Glossier and Thinks are now kind of really focusing on retail growth versus DTC. And that's been a common theme that we've talked about over the last few weeks. Uh, so I think to see these kind of like hallmark DTC brands say, no, listen, our future growth is coming into retail. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And I think that also will have a trickle down effect to these brands that are making their decisions really early on to probably become more omni-channel versus just one vertical or the other. Um, so Asia, let's start with you. Kind of any thoughts on um, just kind of the, the strategy from these two companies and then like kind of the overall kind of like Emily Weiss Glossier situation? Like, do you feel like it was a little overblown um, or do you feel like it was like that kind of like hit piece article was a little right where it's like, maybe, you know, she did lead the company in the wrong way and it was time for her to move. Um, there's so much to unpack here. Uh, with, with the Emily Weiss article, I think it was unnecessarily snarky. And we've seen that with these kind of takedowns impressive female founders time and time again. And I think it's ridiculous and unfair. And, you know, I, people have, have made this reference before, but, you know, you look at how people, how the New York Times and other publications wrote about Adam Newman, and he was, you know, leaving his company like a lunatic, essentially, and didn't face as much criticism as some of these women. Uh, so, but she built a brand up from nothing and it comes a time when there is a period of growth at which you want to bring a CEO in that is experienced at, you know, a growth stage company and knows where to, knows where to go next. And, you know, has that, has that experience and roadmap. And I think, you know, whether the founder is female or male or, you know, gender non-conforming, whoever the CEO is, uh, I think it's like, it's a smart and brave decision to hand over the reins when you feel that someone else will lead the company in a better way moving forward. Uh, as for the, as for the retail piece, uh, it's interesting because we've actually seen this happening for a while. Like, I don't remember exactly when Warby Parker opened their first store, but they were heavily like, DTC, we will never open a store, is a terrible idea, such a waste of money. And then a few years in, they realized that, you know, that is a great channel for existing and new customers. And I think especially now with the changes in... Facebook advertising and Apple privacy laws and, and just increased spending on consumer acquisition, like it, it kind of makes sense to experiment with these other channels. Yeah, no, I think it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I think with Glossier too, it's like, it's such a, like, they haven't even built a company, but they've built like this tribe of like people that like religiously support this company. So it'll be interesting to see, like, does it get phased with like the leader stepping down or do they continue to be as ravenous about the product and the branding as, as it kind of has been since the beginning? Um, CJ, you look like you're in deep contemplation. So let's go to you <laughs> on your uh, thoughts uh, on, on it. Uh, I, I, I wasn't necessarily a deep contemplation, but I do. I do have <laughs> thoughts. Um, I, I I will try my like the pattern is what's interesting to me more so than the gender, even though I know it's very difficult to separate. 
but the the a pattern of glowing pieces glowing pieces as it grows then hit pieces as soon as someone steps down almost always typically means that person was exercising quite a bit of power and when they were leading a cult of personality regardless of their gender and growth was there everything was great but as soon as the, the as soon as the business started to show cracks and wasn't transitioning into what what what, um, what the investors and board would consider to be a mature and sustainable and growing business, you tend to have plenty of people willing to go either on deep background or on record on hit pieces. Like you can't have hit pieces if people aren't willing to give hit piece quotes, which means they're upset about something. Um, so I, 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 I don't, I, I, I hope, I hope it is not a conspiracy against female founders and more. It is what I've just seen time and time again of really strong, personalities start really interesting companies often they have tremendous growth periods and then don't turn into mature companies and then they have to step aside for a ceo with a different skill set and that almost always has to come with a pr transition that involves a hit piece um as far as the transition from d to c to retail i think we are almost to the point where i am going to switch and start investing in d to c again um, like, like, like we are so deep into every D to C needs to go omni-channel. Every D to C has to find a way into um, a way into retail, which is often true. And you can never get past the fact that, like, by moving into retail, you're going to get a, an operating leverage over your costs that you're never going to be able to find in D to C because D to C is always going to have a linear cost associated with it, unless you have a, an interesting subscription hack. Um, but at some point, I just chase value, right? So if if everybody's going to pretend like like it's there's a D to C apocalypse, there's going to be some D to C companies that are that are that are showing good businesses that are now trading at multiples that it's worth investing in them, regardless of whether or not they ever go ever go you know omnichannel. And so like it, it all depends on what you're underwriting too. Like I get it, Glossier probably brought in a tremendous amount of investment at at, at valuations that mean it must become successful in retail in order to pay off those those valuations which is why the ceo is either stepping aside or getting pushed aside for for this you know new new outcome so i think that like it is true that omnichannel is better but at some point when every article is about dc can't survive without omnichannel it's time to start looking for some really good deals in dc yeah, I think especially too, like if the brand can build an audience in a in a community around it versus just like, hey, listen, we we spend this much on CAC, we're just going to expand this and like that's the lever we're going to pull. But it's like, if you're really community built and I think like the team, you look over like Jones Road, right? And what they're building as a DTC company, like it's pretty impressive um, really just being focused on that vertical. So I think if you're really kind of uh, marrying like the community angle with it, um, there is definitely a lot of growth that can be done in that in that channel. Um, Taylor, um, love to end kind of on your thoughts here. Um, what were your thoughts kind of, you know, on like the overall article, kind of maybe like the takedown and then, um, you know, you're obviously so tuned into a bunch of brands and, and kind of like the DTC retail you know, argument today. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone had really good points. I, I, <laughs> I, I do agree. It's like when you see those stories around like, you know, going back to the Adam Newman expose or exposés, uh, there's a lot of those pieces. Um, one of the sites that does a lot of them recently is that there's a website called the Information. Um, they did it on like GoPuff. They've done it on a few different 
different founders recently, it, it there, I mean, there's just explicitly different tones and angles of these stories. Um, and in these cases, it's like, okay, if, if the women, you know, step down, like, is that the right context to kind of do these hit pieces when in reality you have, I'm not saying it's male versus female, but it does kind of feel a little bit like that to a certain degree where you do have men that have been doing things that are a little bit shady or a little bit more seedy. And those stories are definitely less takedown inspired. Um, I don't know, it's just annoying to see all of it kind of this is time and time again, you're seeing these stories where in reality, I don't think they're really quite frankly warranted most of the time and to loop all of it together uh, which is kind of the larger thematic of a lot of these editorial stories, I don't think always makes sense either. Um, on the DTC side, I, I agree. I think, I think you know, looking at companies that are focusing on DTC is important. Um, and I agree with the community building. I think if they, if they really hone in on that, I see that being, you know, a huge lever that they can pull moving forward. You know, they're going to get direct feedback from their audience obviously you know you'll see engagement if you if you do it properly within your community but it could also just dictate a lot of what these brands do moving forward like kind of like organic crowdsourcing through direct to consumer and development of these communities online i mean that could be kind of the wave of new product innovation is to leverage these communities to develop everything moving forward i i, I see it as being potentially an interesting trend if people not only like really leverage these communities, but also use that as a lever for R&D innovation. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think everyone brought up a ton of good points. I think we saw it too with like Jen from Away, right? Like that article kind of came out last year and it was kind of a similar kind of hit piece. And, and we just see that there's different standards for men and women, like in these positions of power. I mean, like Taylor, you and me talk about like We Crash, right? Like that was a bad human being playing a worse human being. And like, I still found myself right. at times being like, oh, this is a likable character. And so it's like, <laughs> this is like, it's right. just like, there's just like for some, like it's just an awful reason, but it's like, guys who are overselling things in these positions of power can definitely get away with with certain things and like that's like that's definitely like a good example kind of like us talking through that show and everything because you know it's like those are two people we hate but like at the end of the day like there's like some likable characteristics or traits here or i'm enjoying this and it was it was a weird experience for sure um so let's talk about another thing we don't talk about a ton about like TikTok or like Instagram in terms of like um, the ROI there for brands. And I think I've seen a ton of like uh, brands really just going all in on TikTok over the last few months. It seems like it's a huge focus of ours. I'm sure CJ, you can probably talk to like when people come in and pitch you, they're probably talking about their TikTok audience and going viral. And I know you're uh, investors in Nectar and that's been a huge channel for them as well. Um, but we've, I've been seeing a new app kind of pop up um, I'm definitely not Gen Z, uh, but I, uh, it's called basically Gen Z's new favorite app, which is called Be Real. And I guess the way that it works is you simply get a notification. You've got two minutes within that notification period to post a photo of whatever you're doing. So it takes a picture of the back and the front of whatever you're doing. So obviously kind of like what you're looking at and then of you as well. Um, and it's just kind of supposed to be like a real photo of you in that time frame um, and really kind of strip away like all of the editing and all of the mock-ups and trying to kind of glamorize your life and just kind of be the anti-Instagram or the anti-TikTok. And so it's really taken off. Um, they're, they're getting millions of downloads. But the interesting thing I thought we could talk about was it seems like some brands are starting to use it. So Chipotle is starting to play around with they're taking one photo a day to their, I think they're called friends, right? Not followers. They're posting it to their friends with like a discount for like, that's only good for that 
a couple minute period while the photo's live. And so really trying to be transparent with our customers, really trying to grow that audience, really just trying to like take that really strong early adopter, strong tribe that they have on Be Real and really provide them with um, awesome um, kind of coupons and rewards and things like that. And it's hard to measure right now. I think that the marketing manager kind of talked about that, but I do think like anytime these big companies are starting to play around with it, it means that the smaller brands that do listen to the show are going to start looking into it. And I think with how much time people have divulged into TikTok, that Be Real is probably the only that is going to be that next platform that a lot of people spend their time on. So Taylor, let's start with you on this one. Did you kind of take a look at Be Real, kind of what were your thoughts on it as a platform? And do you think it's probably an interesting application for brands? Yeah, I think, you know, if you, I, I am a, I think we've talked about this. I am an active TikTok observer. I am not a TikTok creator, nor will this happen um, to my client's dismay often. But um, yeah, no, I think, I don't know, even on TikTok, you started seeing, I mean, obviously on Instagram prior, but on TikTok with you, if people like Addison Ray and some of the bigger influencers that have been on that platform, it was, it was interesting to see, like I had seen a few of them post like Charlie D'Amelio and yeah, some of the bigger ones, photos, interestingly enough, of them uh, makeup less. <laughs> so all, all natural. And everyone was like, wow, like, did they mean to do this? Did they not? And I, they kind of started recently over the past few months, this like, you know, kind of screw always being perfect. Let's be more real, right? Quote unquote. And I don't know, I, I, I saw that kind of playing out and people like the, the, the sentiment was, uh, very, very positive about people just kind of posting their life in reality and not always just making it, you know, camera ready or Instagrammable or TikTok friendly. So um, I, I want to do a little bit more research on the platform. I do like to, like you said, leverage these types of tools to put forth in front of the brands that I advise because a lot of them, like you said, are kind of looking at these new up and coming channels and figuring out ways to gain brand awareness um, on these different platforms, given the audiences at hand. So want to do a little bit more research, but just at a high level, I think the platform makes sense. And I do think that brands will start kind of looking at it more closely and seeing if it works for them. And yeah, I don't know. It, it looks really interesting. Yeah, I kind of related it to like what the brands are doing in like in the NFT space where you're trying to provide like exclusivity or you're trying to play just provide entrance to like your core audience. Like again, I think it's just another platform where brands are going to be able to do that, right? Be able to provide kind of that um, a look into like what they're doing. Uh, I think brands always have to be like careful to make sure that they're not like marketing but they're more documenting and i think this gives them an ability and a more of a documenting tool that they can share with that audience and hopefully create that relationship uh asia how about you i know you you posed the question out to your your twitter audience about like hey did anybody know about be real did you get any good responses and and kind of what are your thoughts on the on the platform and, and how brands might be able to use it um I mean, as I suspected, most of the people within my network are not in Gen Z. <laughs> and, and quite a few people chimed in with my my little sister's using it <laughs> and loves it and that kind of thing, which um, was not surprising to me at all. But I really like the premise of it. I think it's super interesting. Um, in terms of brand usage, I think there's like potential for a ton of creativity there. Uh, but I would say that because the ethos of the brand is about being realistic and authentic, uh, I would lead with people instead of a brand. Like I have no interest in being friends with Chipotle. I just, I don't, and I don't think many people do. Um, 
so I, I think in this in this scenario, you'd want to be careful because it would be very easy for it to devolve into essentially into Instagram. You know, if if people there is potential to be prepared, you know, it's coming at some point in the day. Uh, so I would really highly recommend that that brands focus more on personalities than uh, than the brand itself. So the one thing I would say, the one thing I would say real quick about that, have you seen their, um, and I don't know offhand, apologies if, if you guys know this, but Chipotle is a really strong human resource Instagram and social media presence. So it's like the people behind Chipotle. Yeah. So building on your point, like I fully agree with you. Like, I think it's less like, here's a, you know, as we build the, the burrito, it's more like here are the people behind it and they've actually done a fantastic job uh, with with humanizing the brand from an HR perspective, like showcasing the faces of Chipotle and the people, and kind of like using that social media as as a tool, like a resource and recruiting tool to like showcase job descriptions through the people and the faces behind it. So it could be, to your point, an interesting thing of less about the brand and the product and more about the people behind the company. Just food for thought. Yeah, no, and I think I think like you know it might not make sense for midday squares to have one, but it might make sense for Jake in midday squares to have one, right? Or it might not make sense for Brodo to have one, but it might make experience for Erica Brodo to have one, right? I think those founders that put themselves like kind of as the face of the company and the face of the brand, it makes a ton of sense for them, and it's probably a really good channel for them as well. Um, CJ, you know, I, I saw your post yesterday on Be Real of the spoon and then you eating the spoon. Um, right. and that was <laughs> that was your one post. But what were your kind of thoughts on it? And then to guy to go to TikTok, because I do think like you were nodding your head there. I mean, are you seeing a lot of brands hang their hat on their growth on that channel when they come and pitch you? They are um, increasingly. And like I, I it's I, I actually think it makes the juxtaposition with Be Real even even larger because I, like TikTok tends to orient itself towards like a certain level of production value or polish is, is what tends to win and and then consistency around that um in, in the building so like it's I, I'm, I'm really interested to see how that would actually move over into be real like i you know we, we've seen enough examples of things like clubhouse and and i know twitter spaces has kind of taken over you know from clubhouse a, a little bit but the the engagement levels shrink over time because i i suspect it's got something to do with a, a level of of you know the the lurkers to producers like consistent ratio is a feature not a bug so trying to build something that fixes that isn't necessarily going to be sticky. Like most people want to consume content. And if you accept that, that probably means they want to consume better content. Um, yeah. So like, so when like, like if, if you accept, like if you do a thought experiment and say, hey, those two things are true, then 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 you've actually questioned the, the reason for Be Real to exist. Like far be it for me to say the platform is not going to work. That's not, I'm just saying like, hey, over time, we've seen a lot of things that lean heavily into authenticity or presence not work because they can't meet the whatever threshold of content quality is necessary to create consistent interaction from from you know a a, a non long tail of users. Um, just one one thought on on why it might not work. 
Yeah, no, I think that's super interesting. I think it'll be cool to see how kind of it all pans out. Uh, and we'll see, you know, what brands are going to kind of be the early adopters and how they use that platform. Because obviously there's Gen Z entrepreneurs out there that are creating CPG brands. So they're going to want to be on the platforms that they're on. So it's only a matter of time until we start to see some use cases for Be Real. Uh, and I think as we monitor that, we'll definitely bring it up on, on future episodes. Addis, <laughs> like one thing where I think Taylor's like kind of hit on it is like, I wouldn't be surprised, like, like a very typical brand behavior would be like, oh, damn, we missed out on this TikTok thing. Let's go all in on Be Real and then just like completely miss the point of like the entire platform and just watch like millions of dollars get vaporized and attempt to Be Real. And, that, <laughs> and then and CJ, that's when CJ gets called, when they send them like the merchandise reel of all the work that they did on this platform. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's, uh, it'll be interesting to see how it pans out for sure. Um, all right, well, moving towards um, uh, the next topic. So Unilever, um, and I actually was reading uh, Amazon's kind of drone program starting to, to shake out here relatively soon, but Unilever and drones is definitely not two kind of uh, things you'd hear kind of put together here, but it looks like Unilever is now partnering with a company called Flytrex. And what this kind of pilot program looks like that they're running is they're opening up this virtual ice cream shop where customers can go. They can place orders for all your favorite Unilever products like Klondike and Fudgesicle and Briars and all the Ben and Jerry's. And basically it's going to be delivered to you via a drone, right? And so last mile delivery is a huge kind of investment space here for retail. Everyone's trying to be figured out last mile delivery, whether that's, you know, uh, self-driving cars or, or, or um, drones. It's really been a huge investment space over the last couple of years. So I'm, I'm interested to kind of see, you know, one, it just kind of, it goes back to like the Joker and GoPuff like arguments that we always have, like, do we need this? Right. Like, it's like, it's just, <laughs> is this necessary? Um, you know, it's like, I don't, I've never been in the spot where it's like, will the, but will the ice cream spoons be edible? That's, that's <laughs> right. It's like, do, like, inquiring do, one do I need this fudge to call right away? Right. And it's not, it's, it's also too, it's like, these are brands that are everywhere. Like you can go to a 7-Eleven, you can go to a stop and shop, you can go to Whole Foods, you will most likely find one of these brands. Like these are available everywhere. And so this is only a convenience play. This isn't like a, a ability to get these brands, right? It's not like you're getting like homemade Jennies from like the original scoop shop in Cleveland, like delivered to you. Like this is a, a commercialized product that's available to anyone probably within a five minute drive. So I just, I, you know, it's like, I have a hard time like wrapping my head around this again. Like I think these things are all race to the bottom. Um, and it's just kind of like, you're just competing on time and money here. So um, CJ kind of, let's start with with you on this kind of what were your thoughts on it um do you ever get kind of uh like interesting concepts like this proposed to you uh, as an investor and then like what are your thoughts on like this kind of application for something that's been around now for a lot of years with drones obviously the technology is getting a lot better but is this really the application that we need i just say that it's like of course it's not the application we need delivering ice cream from drones like there's probably a lot more important things that a drone can do but it's like this is where we're at so let's talk about it i mean like all right the consumer in me is like both excited and terrified that there's a way to get me ice cream even faster like, <laughs> it's like excellent excellent for my taste buds bad for my health um i i i do think that you know in the way that we talk about joker and a lot of these things like I, I have to wonder like just how much on the axis of convenience can you win? Because 
at some point, if people are not going to pay up significantly for convenience, there's going to be an issue. Like there's someone I really want to have on the podcast and I'm, I'm kind of working on getting him on. He, his name is Nick Rallis. He did Drizzly. And like he made a very basic point to me. He's like, I don't understand why people, you know, are, are, are working, spending all of this money to optimize the retailer to consumer route when that's an almost infinite amount of routes when instead we could be working on optimizing supplier or distributor to retailer um and 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 making it making it more profitable to have more you know more points of distribution which essentially you know accomplishes almost the same level of of, of convenience so and i and i agree with that very strongly like if, if you if you want to look at this from a value standpoint like there has to be some kind of asymptotic like break on like how like there's just no one's willing to keep paying for convenience i don't think like there's not like okay can you get it to me in one minute because then i'll pay you a hundred dollars like if, if there's if, if there's a, a break like that this money has to stop chasing this outcome um and i think that there's a way larger tam in in making the distributor to retailer routes more efficient um in in a way that a, you have a willing partner to pay, right? So if I'm a distributor and my entire livelihood is based on scale and eking out a small margin per, per delivery. And, and, and right now, every large drop, every delivery I'd make to Costco or Safeway is subsidizing every other small case delivery on that entire route. Um, making that easier and, and what drones play in that versus dark stores we can have a long debate on. Is, is a willing customer. I, the distributor, am willing to pay some percentage of the savings you drive from me you know, you know, via technology and more efficiency versus the, the willingness to pay on the consumer's part for one extra minute of convenience on timing. I just, I, like, why aren't we going after this way larger underserved TAM than this like way, you know, this beat to death horse that's like, ah, hey, we're gonna get to you in one minute. So that's my feelings on that matter. Yeah, no, I, I agree completely. Asia, like, uh, let's kick it to you. Kind of what are your thoughts on this? Um, and and do you feel like it's imperative that we get our ice cream much faster via drone delivery? You ask my husband, he would say, yes, it is imperative. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it's hard because I, am, I, I live in Brooklyn. I have everything that I could possibly need within, you know, a couple minutes walk. I think it's a different story for people that, you know, have kids and maybe getting to the grocery store is difficult or you know, it's far. I don't know why you could not schedule, you know, a fresh direct <laughs> delivery and you actually need to order and have it immediately. I, I'm not sure. I don't understand. We have used sort of delivery, these you know, five, 10 minute delivery apps, mostly because they're being subsidized by VC money and we get $20 off every time. We basically, we just get free food essentially very fast. So like, why, why would we not do that? But eventually they're going to have to start charging for the service. And I think they'll see a huge drop off and kind of same goes for drones. I, on a just personal level, having watched shows like Black Mirror, I am very scared of drones flying around <laughs> everywhere. I I think there there are too many places that that I've seen that go wrong on TV. <laughs> uh, but yeah, in seriousness, it's 
it's fine. I, I, don't, I don't think there's a problem with it. I don't think it's a brilliant business solution. It's fine. Some people might pay for it, but yeah, not really scary. Yeah, and this is like, this just looks like the team inside of Unilever, right? Who's like, they're inside of a big company and they're just grasping at straws of innovation and like just kind of picking through a word cloud of like things that are popular right now. And drone was the biggest and brightest color. And they're like, all right, let's lead with this uh, and pair it with this. And so it, it's just kind of interesting. And it's like, I go back to like the word convenience, right? Cause like CJ, you brought that up a few times. Like, I just don't know a startup or like a practice where it's like convenience was the hallmark of what they were going to deliver. And like success was really derived from that. And it's like, it's, it's just hard with you going to hang your head or hang your hat, like on convenience as being kind of the key driver for the, for adoption. Um, Taylor, how about you? Obviously you're, you're in an urban setting similar to Asia, but like kind of what's your yeah. take on it? I have a totally different take. I, yes. This is like the gray Poupon ice cream thing. Where you guys are all <laughs> sitting around being like, what else can we do with fudgesicles that hasn't been done? Let's drop them from drones. I mean, even uh, seven years ago, I worked for McAllen and we hosted an event where we dropped <laughs> like $1,000, $50,000 rare limited edition McAllen. Like people were getting it like from drones and then they were taking 3D photos of people gathering the whiskey. It's ridiculous. It's kind of like, to me, it's like, super marketing you know like like it's like such a marketing stunt but what i had a good idea was i have a little fun idea which could be playing on the idea of product drops use a drone for product drops literal metaphorical product drop like hey guys we're launching a crumble cookie flavor only in miami it is coming to you via drop like do it in a fun way i feel like some of these companies are like taking things that are cool, like innovative technology, but like, are they really utilizing it in a way that's like actually innovative? I don't know. I don't think like to everyone's point, you can't get faster with delivery and then inter maybe you can, but even regardless of that, like this is an item, like all these are items, like a chip, which I could get as I'm talking to you, I could have go puffed it or walk next door while we're on this recording. So I would say, think further outside of the box and be like, how can you actually play on the idea of a drop from a drone? And everything is about product drops now. So maybe it's less about like the convenience and the speed and the technology, but more kind of a riff on it and using something like a drone to drop literal metaphorical products to people. Yeah, no, I like that. Uh, and there's there's somebody who does, um, I think he's part of the repeat team. Uh, I follow him on Twitter, but what he does is like, like he does drops like that are delivered to your house by like regular USPS. Uh, and like, you just sign up for it through email and then like every, like once in a while, like you'll, you'll get a drop of like new different cool products. Right. So I think things that are fun like that, um, they definitely have the applications here. Um, but yeah, it's just like, it's also such a low cost product, right? Like a fudgesicle where it's like, I get it. If it's like something that's like high end, right. You just talked about Drizzy, right. CJ, like that makes sense. Cause like my bill is $50 plus usually. Right. So like that delivery mm -hmm. makes sense with these kind of like lower end items it's like you know why not just like go walk or drive in the car and grab it so it'll be definitely or, interesting to see it pan, pan out for sure sorry taylor i was gonna say like or no i was gonna say like or even something like thinking about like the types of products that you can leverage a, a tool like that like if you're getting engaged and like it's that moment in your life where something drops from the sky like i don't know i think in my mind it kind of misses the mark with it being such like a mainstream product. But if you can do things that are 
limited edition or even just something that's like that moment where you love something more grandiose, like a engagement ring or something coming from the sky. I don't know. Could be really cool. So. Yeah. So what's that getting dropped? Oh shit. It's a fudgicle. <laughs> this is not great. Um, <laughs> I think the, the point that Asia, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, made that was like most yes. important is how much, how much of subsidies this is being done with. Like, I don't know if you guys saw the Target news this morning, but Target's going to put everything on sale because they messed up their inventory. Um, and I, they're not the only one. So if, if not even Target is going to maintain price integrity, even within a, a situation where there's massive consumer inflation, how long do we think drones can subsidize ice cream? Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. So um, we usually like to cover one like kind of round or fundraising um, um, update uh, that happened recently on the on the podcast. So um, a company that I actually never heard of before, but obviously heard of a lot of their portfolio brands. Uh, but Redbud Brands uh, raised forty six million dollars. I don't know if they gave us the uh, a seed a sage it was in, but I'm assuming it's probably like a B or C round, uh, led by Satori Capital, which I think we've mentioned them a few times on the podcast before. Uh, you might not know Redbud but you might know some of their brands, probably the two biggest ones, and I'm hoping I'm pronouncing it right, but Coast, the KOS, it's kind of like the plant protein brand that you can find in Target and places. And then obviously Tarani, which is kind of like the syrups that you see at every single coffee shop. Um, so like if you add hazelnut or vanilla to your coffee, it's usually that Tarani brand, but then they have a ton of kind of emerging brands that they've done. They've got a cannabis snack. They do Picadus, which is like this really cool uh, alcohol beverage that I think uh, Snackshot has covered a little bit. And my personal favorite, it's something called nap jitsu which is like a supplement that you're supposed to take right before you take a cat nap and then it's supposed to be like make you like wire right after you wake up and super focused so i guess it's just like a caffeine and nootropic pill that you take before a nap which i thought was a pretty funny uh concept don't know how scalable it is but definitely interesting so cj let's, let's kind of start with you kind of your thoughts on the round also your thoughts on like the venture studio model for cpg um, and then we'll we'll kind of uh, kick it over to Asia and, and uh, Taylor as we wrap up this uh, this episode. Um, so we know Redbud really well, and like it's it's really hard to separate the level of respect I have for Brian Gold Goldberg from the feelings I have on the Venture Studio model, right? Because like Goldberg's a stud. Right? I, I mean, no one would argue with that. Like he's got one of the best track records of CPG. So like the point of a venture studio, if I'm being a little bit cynical about it, is largely to like kind of make the homework easier on funding, which, you know, which is like, okay, well, I know I want to be in cannabis, so I'm going to do the Redbud cannabis alpha. I know I want to be in alcohol, so I'm going to do the Redbud, and, and that, that network, you know, kind of closing the funding loop there. And the, and the way it works is, by definition, Redbud will get some kind of delta. Their ownership in the company will be, will you know, will be high. The valuation will be somewhat higher. Like this, this thing only works with a trade-off. So, like a lot of times, I look at venture studios and say, it depends on the amount of of, of work they're doing and, and how much value they're actually adding. And I, and I think it's really hard for them, on average, to pencil out over time. In the, in the case of Redbud specifically, I can I have a lot of respect for for Brian and and so Redbud might pull it off. Venture studios are difficult, and I view them very differently as things like Y Combinator, you know, or, or TechStars, which 
have like I think a fundamentally different proposition than venture studios. Venture studios try and capture too much of the value themselves um, for sometimes very very dubious value adds. Um, this raise actually happened quite a while ago. Um, I think it happened back in December, which gives a little bit more signal as far as if you're coming. Wow, Satori, VMG, Sands, like that's and that's a pretty big raise for these folks for brands that that aren't, aren't well distributed. It, it it happened. It was kind of like you know one of the last last lifeboats off the, the Titanic of, of a lot of money coming into companies that they, they probably have trouble doing this race right now. Yeah. So I guess is the, the, the way I'm putting it. So um, I'm, I'm on the fence. Normally I'm anti-adventure studios. Goldberg might be the only person who can pull it off. Yeah, no, I agree. It's, it's interesting to see how that pans out. We're seeing a lot more of like the mini conglomerates, like having multiple portfolio, like large portfolios uh, with emerging brands. And it'll be interesting to see kind of how it pans out. Uh, Asia, kind of what was your thoughts on, on the raise and some of the brands that they have and, and um, any thoughts on kind of like this model, um, especially when like most of the emerging brands that we see succeed are singular brands, right? And not necessarily a portfolio of brands. Yeah, in theory, it really makes sense to me that, you know, pooling resources, pooling talent uh, across a few different brands, just when I think that through, makes perfect sense to me. But time and time again, when we've seen this executed, it just, it does not work. And I think that, you know, the reason might be that when you're super early stage, that the the early days of each brand is, is very unique and needs, needs more attention than can be given from someone who is focused on, you know, four or five different brands. Um, I think I'm familiar with, uh, with pattern brands and you saw at the beginning, they launched brands from the ground up and then sort of pivoted to this model of purchasing existing brands and growing them. And that seems to be functioning a lot more successfully and, and, and better because at that point it is sort of a well-oiled machine and they can just, you know, supercharge the growth of, of, of a brand that's already worked through all of those kinks. Yeah. I think like the mixture of like incubating yourself plus acquisition, like human is another one we work really close with, with, I brought them up. They're actually a public company, like seeing kind of how they're going to pan out in this model, you know, it'd be interesting. Um, Taylor, kind of your thoughts on, on here as we wrap up. No, no, no. Same as everyone else. I think it will just be interesting to see if this model works for them and others. But yeah, I have nothing much else to add. I think it's really interesting. Awesome. I guess then the most important question for everybody, did everybody see Top Gun yet? Oh, <laughs> this weekend. It's on It's on the list. I love hate Miles Keller. Right, I, I was going <laughs> to give my hot take on it, but if Taylor hasn't seen it, I'm not going to ruin it. <laughs> I'll text you after then, CJ. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, guys. Give me a week. Next week we'll talk about it. Well, we'll it's go. Promise. It'll be it'll be honest, uh, honest like movies. Honest we'll top gun. Deep <laughs> into to, to summer blockbusters. Um, awesome, Asia. I really appreciate it. Obviously, uh, big fan of of what you do. Everyone, go subscribe to For Love, uh, great brand. Uh, and then, where can people go find you, Asia, if they have any questions or want to work with you? Uh, on Twitter, I'm. Just- Asia Singer, A-J-A-S-I-N-G-E-R, or Instagram. I am regularly online. Awesome. (laughs) You can find me there. All right. Thanks, everybody. Uh, Chat with you next week. We'll see everybody. And thanks again for a great podcast episode.